Hi, and welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. I'm John Seipert, pastor of Preston Highlands Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. On this podcast, I'll be addressing questions that members of our church have sent in regarding the sermon I preached last Sunday. If you'd like to listen to previous sermons, go to PrestonHighlands.org. Or if you'd like to send in a question, you can email it to john at PrestonHighlands.org. Last Sunday, I preached on the church's boundaries, the second part of a two-part sermon, really, on the church's boundaries. Last week, I did membership, then this week, I did discipline. So we considered church discipline, and I said that when Jesus calls us to follow him on the road to the cross, he calls us onto this road with a group of believers, uh, namely a church, and that uh, as we follow Jesus on this road to the cross, um, one of the prices we must pay as we follow Jesus together, is doing the hard work of caring for one another spiritually. And I said, since our battle with sin is one of the primary components of our Christian lives, then one of the ways we follow Jesus together on the road to the cross is by helping each other battle sin. The church is a community of brothers and sisters who take sin seriously. We know this. Because Jesus says this in Matthew 18, the text we studied in Matthew 18, 15 through 20, Jesus teaches us that if any of us, if any of his church are unwilling to fight our sin and put it to death, then the church has the authority to remove us from the church. <laughs> he, he even lays out a helpful process. It starts with private correction, it moves to a small group confronting the person in sin, then If necessary, Jesus says, tell it to the church. And if the person still doesn't change, Jesus says that the church must view them as a tax collector and Gentile. In other words, the church should view them as an unbeliever. This is usually called church discipline. Church discipline. It's not popular. As I said on Sunday, it's about as popular as spanking your kid in the grocery store. (laughs) No one thinks church discipline is good, right, or cool anymore. (laughs) It's not seen as something the church should be doing. It's seen as judgmental and self-righteous and unnecessary. And um, I I would argue just quickly that that's based on very um, unbiblical views of love, what, what it truly means to love someone. And so a lot of churches aren't doing church discipline. They aren't willing to do church discipline. They're not thinking about church discipline. They're not studying church discipline. And by the way, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a church that is always talking about church discipline. I don't want to be a church that's always doing church discipline. I don't, you know, I don't get up in the morning longing to to talk and and teach and do church discipline. Um, But it is in the Bible and it's given to us as a gift from God for our good for the good of the gospel, the good of the church. And it's one way that the church um, shows love to its members. We don't just let people walk over the cliff, as it were. We, we want to go after people who are straying away from the Lord. We love people so much that we want to go after them. We want them to be with, not, not just with us, Though we do want them to be with us, we want people to be with the Lord, to be in right relationship with the Lord Jesus. We love them so much that we don't just let them walk away. 
So even though church discipline isn't popular, we think it's loving and kind and it preaches the gospel and it's very biblical. It's God's way of going after sinners with his love. It's a rescue operation. It's not a self-righteous pronouncement. Now, lots of questions are brought up by this topic of church discipline. I'll try to address several of them here on the podcast this week. First, does church discipline always mean removing a member from the church? Does church discipline always mean removing a member from the church? No, not necessarily. There's uh, first the theologians talk about formative and corrective church discipline. Formative church discipline is the kind of thing we should be doing with each other all the time. We should be helping form Christian character in each other. We should be encouraging, praying, admonishing, correcting as necessary. We're doing formative church discipline anytime we get together with other members of the church and we help them follow Jesus. We need to remember that Christian discipleship is more than instruction. It's instruction and accountability. Um, so formative church discipline is is one of the normal things that we should be doing. By the way, the the better a church is at formative church discipline, the less they will have to do corrective church discipline. Because as we are walking with each other in accountable, transparent, honest relationships, we're helping each other fight sin and put it to death, then we won't have to. The church won't have to get involved um, with the corrective church discipline because we're already doing that in our individual lives, in our life together as a community. The corrective church discipline, though, is when a church has to step in and correct, seeks, seeks to correct a member's behavior. Um, it, it does um, often result in removing a church member from church membership and therefore from the Lord's table, from the Lord's supper. But corrective church discipline can begin by the elders pulling a member, removing a member from their position of leadership in the church, or by not allowing them to serve in the various ministries of the church. This can be done as a last step before the elders recommend to the church the member be removed from membership. So there, you know, it's not that we, we always jump right to removal from membership. There are some other things that can be done as we move towards removal, such as removing people from leadership positions or removing people from serving in the various ministries of the church, kind of putting people on notice, as it were, saying, hey, this is serious. What you're doing is serious. Um, and, and so in light of its seriousness, we're going to ask you to pull away from these things and let's see how that goes. And if there's repentance, you know, you can be reinstated. But if there's not repentance, then we're going to have to move to that final step in corrective church discipline, which is um, recommending to the church that the member be removed from membership. Now, a related question arises about particularly egregious sins that may arise in a church. So, for example, um, what should a church do? if a member is arrested for solicitation of a prostitute or for distributing child pornography or for embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars from their company? What should the church do in these cases? 
when very public and very serious sins like these are committed, does the church still need to follow the steps Jesus lays out in Matthew 18? Great question. The short answer is no. Matthew 18 should be the normal course taken. But when the sin is very public and when the sin is very serious, a church's elders can recommend that the church remove the member immediately and forego the private correction and then the two or three going and, and all that. The basis for this is 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul tells the Corinthians church, uh, Corinthian church to remove the man who was sleeping with his stepmother immediately. 1 Corinthians 5, 2 says, You are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this, this man who's sleeping with his stepmother, let him who has done this be removed from among you. So there doesn't appear to be any process of private correction here or small group correction. Paul was instructing the church to remove this man immediately. So in some cases, that that can happen. Some of the examples I mentioned above would likely end up as court cases in our culture and our society, and rightly so. In that case, elders should wait for the court's decision before they formally recommend the member be removed. It wouldn't be right to excommunicate someone the courts eventually exonerate. In other words, we would want to make sure that the person truly did do the crime that he's been charged for. If the court does find them guilty, then the church should remove them. And immediately, the elders would recommend and the church should remove them immediately. Um, now, understanding that that court process could take a lot of time, months, sometimes years. Um, so that person may become repentant. That person may be repentant. But given the egregious nature of their sin, in these cases I've mentioned, the egregious nature of the sin, the church, I think, would have a hard time determining whether the person was repentant or not. In time, if the person is truly repentant, the church will know that and see that. And they can gladly welcome them back into the church. But in cases of very serious and very public sins, uh, assuming that they are held up in court as guilty, the elders would usually remove or move for immediate removal from the church. And so to summarize, there is a time and a place for immediate removal when the elders would make a motion to immediately remove a member from the church. That's not normally the case, but that can happen. Now, the next question is, what kind of sins should necessitate church discipline? What kind of sins should necessitate church discipline? What kind of sins should a church remove a church member from membership for? Well, as I said on Sunday, there are three diagnostic questions we should use as we think about this, elders should use and then the church should use as they think about different cases. The three questions are, is the sin outward? Is it publicly known? Second question is, is it serious? Is it serious? And then thirdly, is the person repentant? Is the person repentant? Is it outward? Is it serious? Is the person repentant? Those questions help us diagnose whether or not the church should move forward with membership. And as I said on Sunday, I wish there were a, uh, you know, a list, a very specific and detailed list in the Bible about what to do when for specific cases, but there's just not. There's just not that list. Let me give you two quick examples of 
particular sins that that would definitely necessitate church discipline. Um, first, the example of adultery. Um, if there's adultery that's happening and the adulterer doesn't see it as wrong and doesn't want to reconcile with their spouse, maybe even wants to move out and you know live with this other person and start seeking div to divorce their spouse, well, that would necessitate church discipline. They are, it's outward, it's serious, and they're unrepentant. And that, that might be fairly obvious to most of us, but another example might not be as obvious, but I think is also serious. It's the non-attending church member or the person who's a member of the church, but stops attending the church's public worship services and doesn't show any sign of joining another church. They're a member of the church, but they stop showing up at church and they don't have any desire to join any other church. Jesus' of course, Jesus's course of action, Matthew 18, would, in this case, need to be pursued. Private correction, you know, small group correction, and then if necessary, tell it to the church. Let the church go after this person. And if the person still doesn't change, then the church would remove them from membership. So if a church member stops coming to church and isn't actively taking steps to join another church, the elders would need to recommend that the church remove them from membership. Why? Because church membership entails a living commitment, <laughs> uh, just as membership in a family is a living commitment. It has privileges and responsibilities, and one of the responsibilities is showing up, of being there, being in attendance. Um, our most basic ministry to one another, as Mark Dever says, is attendance. We can't encourage or be encouraged. We can't serve or be served. We aren't under the word. We aren't in prayer. We aren't in worship if we're not in church. So the sin of non-attendance for no apparent reason is more serious than most people assume. Obviously, there are reasons for members to not attend church. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Well, we're coming out of a pandemic right now. And I've said repeatedly that there are ample reasons why many church members can't and even shouldn't be in the public gathering of the church. That's totally understandable. But when a church member stops attending for no apparent reason and doesn't make any attempts to join another church, um, then that's serious. It shows that they've failed to understand the importance of the church and their Christian discipleship. If God calls us into the church when we become Christians, then by definition, a Christian will be in church regularly. <laughs> Cutting yourself off from the means of grace of the church is dangerous to your own soul. It tells the world that the church isn't really a part of the Christian life, that you can follow Jesus all by yourself. You don't really need anybody else. And so non-attendance can and should be disciplined by the church. Now, another related question comes in at this point or can come in at this point. Sometimes people will try to resign their membership before the church is able to remove them from membership. Sometimes people will try to preempt church discipline through resignation. They'll try to resign their membership in order to avoid being removed from the church. They see this as their get out of jail free card. Um they, they want to avoid any consequences to, to their decisions and their behaviors, and so they just write up a letter of resignation or they just tell the pastors or elders verbally, hey, I want to resign my membership, and then be done with it and move on and not worry about their decisions or behavior. But um, that's not, not the way that churches should 
function. That's not the way church members should function. And I think Jonathan Lehman does a great job explaining why. I'm going to read a paragraph from his book, Church Discipline. And let's just listen to Lehman explain why that's not a good idea. He says, quote, Joe attempted to avoid excommunication by resigning his membership. Was this legitimate? No. Christians are called as a matter of obedience to Christ to, su to submit to the affirmation and oversight of local churches. People join churches by the consent of the church, and they resign by the consent of the church. That is to say, a person cannot walk up to a church and say, I'm a member now. Churches of every polity have some way of testing and then affirming a person's profession of faith. Jesus gave the apostolic church the keys of the kingdom for this very purpose. Yes, church membership is voluntary insofar as Jesus does not bind us to choose one church rather than another, but he does bind us to choosing some church. And just as a person cannot member himself, he cannot unmember himself. Church members cannot simply preempt the church's threat of discipline with a resignation. The end of this covenant-like relationship requires the consent of both parties. Permitting such an action would undermine Jesus' very purpose in giving local churches the keys of the kingdom for exercising discipline. It would be equivalent to letting an arrested criminal resign his citizenship in order to avoid prosecution and conviction. End quote. Lehman also has a great article on 9marks.org titled The Preemptive Resignation, a Get-Out-of-Jail-Free Card that goes into this further. So, uh, again, when someone seeks to resign their membership in order to preempt discipline, it's, it's, it's their attempt to unmember themselves. But just as we can't make ourselves members, we can't unmember ourselves in a local church. Jesus gave the local church the authority to receive and to dismiss members, to, to affirm people's gospel confessions, to affirm that they are walking the talk. And um, that means that we all are accountable to the local church. And that we, we don't get to walk in or walk out anytime we please. As I've said many times to our church, the only legitimate ways to leave a church is through death, discipline, or resignation. Death, discipline, or resignation. A member would normally resign their membership when they move to a different church, not to avoid church discipline. So if a member submits a resignation or verbalizes a resignation, an elder board or a church has the right, indeed the responsibility, to not accept that resignation, but to rather say, no, we aren't going to accept that, uh, accept that resignation. Rather, we're going to carry the process of discipline forward until we see signs of repentance. Now, last question. How should we approach those who've been removed from the church? This is such a good question. How should we approach those who've been removed from the church? Well, as I said on Sunday, when the church removes someone, they're not making them an unbeliever. They're simply saying that they can no longer affirm them as a believer. So the way we would interact with such a person is the same way we'd interact with anyone who we don't think is a believer. We don't know if they're a believer. 
we don't have any reason to think that they are, but we don't know that we know that we know. So what do we do? Well, we love them. We pray for them. We invite them over for dinner. We share the gospel with them. We invite them to come to church. By the way, most of the time, we want someone who's been removed from the church to keep coming to the church's public services so that they can be changed by the Lord as they hear his word so that they can be around the church, around Christian community and see what they're missing and see the beauty of the gospel. So how do we approach those who've been removed? Well, we approach them the same way Jesus approached us in our sin. We approach them with tenderness, with mercy, with grace, with kindness, with patience, and with truth. We don't we don't treat them like believers because we don't know that they are believers. But we don't bash them over the head either and say, hey, you know, you're a terrible person and uh, we don't like you anymore. No, we love them. We tenderly and honestly talk to them about their condition, about where they're at, about about their sin, and about their need for Christ and their need for repentance. Remember, restoration is the goal of removal. If a church removes someone from the church, the goal is not just removal. The goal is to restore them back to the church. We want sinners to come back to the Lord and to his church. Paul talks about someone who had been restored in the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2, 6-8. And he talks about in that passage how this church should forgive that person and warmly receive them and comfort him. They should bring them back, bring him back so that he's not overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. So restoration happens when a church publicly forgives the person who was removed and receives them back into their membership after the person shows visible, tangible fruits of repentance. So restoration should occur when a sinner repents and when the church is convinced that the repentance is real. It, it won't always be clear, unfortunately, if the repentance is real. Elders must balance caution with compassion. This means the process usually proceeds slowly, and there's no rule book for this. But we pray for wisdom. We trust that the Lord will be with us. And we remember that the Lord wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust the wisdom that he gives to us daily. He wants to remind us how dependent we are on him. Church discipline can be a messy process. It's not something that we want to do in the sense of we, we don't want to remove people from the church, but we do want people to stay close to Jesus. We do want people to come back to the Lord Jesus. We do want people to die and go to heaven and not be self-deceived and go to hell. So any healthy church is willing to engage the process of church discipline. Sometimes it's it's the process laid out in Matthew 18. Sometimes it's more immediate, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 5. But either way, the process is undertaken out of love for the sake of restoring the man or woman back to the Lord and to the church. Restoration is the goal, not removal. That's all for this episode of Wednesdays in the Word. Thanks for sending in your questions. If you want to listen to previous sermons, go to PrestonHighlands.org. 
or if you'd like to send in a question, you can email it to john at prestonhighlands.org. Until next week, may God use all of us for His glory in this generation.